This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Beyond Zero is a not-for-profit research and education organisation. We design blueprints for a zero-emissions economy. As climate change becomes more apparent, leaders will use these well-researched plans that show a transition is possible from a 19th-century fossil fuel-based economy with its climate-changing emissions to a zero-emissions 21st century. Check out our website for reports on zero-emissions energy, zero-emissions buildings and zero-emissions high-speed rail. Podcasts of our talks with a who's who of climate change action are all available at Beyond Zero Emissions. If you have some ideas for this show, contact us at radio team at beyondzeroemissions.org. Good evening. This is Jane. This is the Beyond Zero Emissions show. And uh, a big hello to you all on this very cold Melbourne day. And it's going to get colder over the next few days. We've got another tight show tonight, uh, primarily on the Bulga versus Rio Tinto case up in, in the Hunter Valley in New South Wales. But before we get into that, I would like to give a big shout out to so many of you who, who pledged and uh, gave money in the recent Radiothon. So I'll just try and get through as many of these as I can today. I'm not quite sure what the protocol is with uh, naming people on radio, but um, I'll just read the names as they were put in. Uh, or look on second thoughts. I might, uh, I might, I might actually just go for first names. So we've got Sunverge Energy, a very ge- generous donation. Thanks for that. Alvi from Viewbank in Victoria. Jane, another Jane from Fairfield. Georgia from Hyatt. Georgia's actually a friend of mine. Thanks, Georgia. Michael from Ocean Grove. Anna, Anna from Alexandria in New South Wales. That's a far-flung listener, and you're very welcome indeed, Anna. Anthony from Balaclava. Glenn from Langwarren. Ron from, and I hope I have this right, I actually don't know this uh, location at all, Comide. Co- Komaidai. I'll have to look that one up. Hilary from Coburg and uh, John from Sydney, New South Wales. So thank you one and all. And that's not all of our uh, donators. And I will read out some of the others as the show progresses. But first up, let's go to New South Wales, to Bulga. Bulga is inland from Newcastle to to uh, situate yourselves and Vivian was up there recently making these recordings We don't need your filthy coal your coal seeing gas or oil You've heard the story of David and Goliath We are meant to triumph when the Philistine giant Goliath is killed by the shepherd boy David Well, journalists have framed this story we're hearing tonight about Bulga versus Rio Tinto since the beginning as a David and Goliath story. But the story I have to tell you is a bit more nuanced. There's really no winner, whichever way it turns out. I went up to Singleton for a public hearing by the Planning Assessment Commission. 120 people spoke to the commissioners over two days and those submissions go through in a report to the government whether the mine should be extension should be approved or not. Many in the audience were wearing high-vis vests. They went one after the other up to the microphone and they told how Rio was a good employer. They told how their employer, how they employed Aborigines, how they gave good sick leave. But above all, If the mine extension was not approved, they told us they would be out of work. Many of these miners lived in Singleton and they said that the local businesses depended on the mine as well. 
I couldn't get any of these people to speak on air, but I did meet a retired miner, so he told what it had been like, and he lives in Volga. I also spoke to Trudy, who has legal training, and she works for Rio Tinto. Their media person was worried that I might ask her tricky questions, and so I agreed to only ask her one question, what she had said to the commissioners, and I have included her interview in full. Of course, my heart is with the Volga residents, who have fought like David with small but precise weapons. If they win, that's a lot of climate-changing coal that stays in the ground. But it became clear to me that even if Rio wins, there's no guarantee that the workers will keep their job. As economist Rod Campbell says, if the mine extension is approved, it will give Rio the chance to delay rehabilitation work and retrenchment payouts, maybe for up to 10 to 15 years. So please listen carefully to the... I've tried to give a balanced picture of what's at stake here. But first, here's a funny sketch by Tom Gleason on ABC TV, The Weekly. It's about Bulga versus Rio Tinto. In mining news... A proposal to expand a coal mine in the village of Bulga in the Hunter Valley has divided the community. For five years, Rio Tinto has fought to expand the mine. Many locals in the region have fought back. Now Rio Tinto's plan looks set to go ahead, despite two previous court rulings against it. A two-day hearing of locals' complaints concluded today. For more on this, here's a man of the bush, Tom Gleeson. Tom. familiar with the story, this is what happens if you type Bolga into Google Maps. You get this, right? Now, this is what happens if you click it over to Google Satellite. See that there? That there on Bolga's the little speck on the left. Yeah. <laughs> and on the right, that's Rio Tinto's Mount Thorley uh, Walkworth coal mine, one of the biggest open-cut coal mines in all of New South Wales. It's actually 13 kilometres end-to-end, and Rio Tinto want to make that mine bigger. And the locals are complaining and because uh, they're killjoys. Well, it, you know, to be, to be fair, at one point in time, didn't the planners want to actually move the entire town away? Yeah, and the locals, they weren't happy about it because they say that their town is historic, a bit like their attitude. <laughs> and now the Planning Assessment Commission, they're the ones who recommended the mine expansion in the first place. They've actually spent the last two days uh, listening to the Bulgar communities whinging. <laughs> So I thought, you know what, I'm going to help Rio Tinto, right? So I rang up Rio Tinto and I said, can I help? And they they declined. I took that as a green light. So I decided that I'll drive out there and spend a day with the locals, smoothing things over between them and Rio Tinto. family founded Bulga, is that right? Pretty much. My ancestors were the first settlers in Bulga in 1825. Why didn't they found the township further away from the coal mine? The coal mine was never there. It's only been here for 30 years. This is a, you've got a beautiful view here now. You can see both coal mines, like this one there. It looks stunning. You'd have to agree with that, wouldn't you? Certainly not. There's quite a few people living locally that have uh, got pretty strong feelings about mining in this yeah. area. Yeah. They love it, don't they? That's good for humanity. What are you doing? Nothing! All right, thanks for coming. Uh, Before we get started, would you like a free lump of coal? Okay. I know that you say that you want to live here, but just quietly, we all know it's a bit of a shithole. Why don't you move the entire township of Bulga into the middle of the pit, and then that way, every time we expand the mine, it'll be getting further away. Down there, is it? We really... What are you talking about? It's lovely. You've got a 360 panoramic view of coal. I understand the big, bloody, great pit you're going to leave behind. A thousand foot deep. We're well, farmers. We what grow coal in the ground millions of years ago, and then we harvest it via digging deep into the earth and never filling in the hole. <laughs> Maybe we can help you out. So, what's your name? My name's Stuart Mitchell. We spoke earlier today. <laughs> Oh, that's right. Sorry, I forgot. Good to see you again. Thank you. The the door's that way. Nothing. Fuck off, mate. You're 
I've left Volga, where they're not listening. So now I'm in sunny Newcastle to talk to the Lock the Gate mob, see if they're open to my ideas. Lock the Gate is a network of farmers, conservationists, traditional owners uh, and concerned people around the country worried about the impacts of inappropriate mining. Why are you backing the, the Goliath of Volga against the little David Rio Tinto? <laughs> cute, isn't it, that the mining industry likes to paint itself as the victim in this circumstance when multinational mining companies pit themselves against a village of a few hundred people. The Lock the Gate Alliance, it just sounds a bit negative. What about the Leave the Gate Slightly Ajar Alliance? <laughs> to let some of us through, some of the smaller ones like Rio Tinto, like just let us in just for a little forage. The good thing about locking the gate is that you're protecting for the future the things that matter most to you. Yeah, well, that was pointless. We weren't really open any new ideas, so uh, I'm going to go to a coal dump to try to cheer myself up. <laughs> don't listen to them, coal. They don't understand you. They don't love you the way I do. It's good to breathe it in, you know. And that was Tom Gleeson uh, on Mainstream Media. I think that went to air last week, and many thanks for letting us replay that. A rather facetious look at the Bulga versus Rio Tinto case in New South Wales, which in April, the very, very small town of Bulga won, uh, won the uh, case in the Land and Environmental Court. Before we go to part two of our Bulga versus uh, Rio Tinto show tonight and interviews, I'd just like to refresh your memory. If you were listening back in June when Vivian went out to the uh, out past Warburton and we did a show on the Great Forest National Park. Well, this is David Lindenmeyer, an ecologist, talking about a bit of a promo for that. My name's David Lindenmeyer. I'm a professor of ecology at the Australian National University. I've worked in this region, the Central Highlands of Victoria, for over 31 years. And it's a very special place. And as part of our work over the last 31 years of science, we've made amazing discoveries about the biodiversity of this area, the forest and its ecology. And we've recognised that it's a critically important place for endangered species like Leadbeater's possum a critically important place for supplying almost all of the water to the city of Melbourne. An extremely important place for storing large amounts of carbon as part of tackling dangerous climate change. And increasingly we're recognising that it has enormous potential for tourism and rebuilding local economies like those of Hillsville, Warburton and Marysville. So I'm making a plea to all Australians to help us better communicate the science about this amazing area. The science about biodiversity, the science about carbon, the science about water, and increasingly the science about fire. We need to be able to build new websites to engage in social media and mainstream media and to make videos about the extraordinary opportunity that's presented by the Great Forest National Park and what it can do to help rebuild economies and employ people and turn this into an extraordinary opportunity for Victorians and Australians and something for us to cherish for decades and centuries to head. And uh, I encourage you all to get onto the Great Forest National Park website to inform yourselves more fully about what's going on there, if not indeed to support their efforts. So that's www.greatforestnationalpark.com.au. And uh, that's just outside of Melbourne, some of these fabulous mountain ash and the lead beaters possum, the fairy possum, which of course is the Victorian fauna emblem. Well, there's no of course about that, but uh, it is the Victoria's fauna emblem. Uh, so now we will go to part two of the Bulga versus Rio Tinto interviews that Vivian recorded in New South Wales. We don't need your filthy coal, your coal seam gas or oil. We're not going to pay the toll of seeing our earth spoiled. Wind power, wave power, 
power from the sun, the power of our marching feet, our voices raised along the street. We'll see this battle won. We'll see this battle won. I first heard about Bulga through John Cray speaking on the ABC, and I just heard that name and the concept that it was a David and Goliath battle, and I immediately thought this is really interesting. And I did interview uh, John once before up at Curry Curry, I think, and now we're here in Singleton for a hearing by the Planning Commission. Now, John, you said at the very end of your talk, well, I just hope they go underground. Are you feeling that this process has just sort of run its course and that um, there's nothing for it, but that that would be your best option, or are you still hoping to stop the whole project altogether? No, we're still hoping to stop the whole project because the project really has no merits at all. And when you hear... Our experts speak. Clearly, there is a lot of um, misrepresentation that has been put into the reports by the Rio Tinto consultants. And that is putting a, how would you put it, uh, through rose-coloured glasses, the view of the impacts that mine will have on Bulga. Because they downplay these impacts, and in doing that, they're saying, well, there is no real impact on Bulga. So why are you people worried? But we live there. We know what impacts we're getting now when the mine is four to five kilometres away, and they're going to bring it to within 2.6 kilometres, first stage, and then only 500 metres on the second stage. So, yeah... The village will be doomed if this mine expands. Yes. Well, we've heard poignant stories of well, people's whole life dream, you know, retiring here, maybe having property, and then now they can't even sell it, can't get out even. Acoustic experts spoke about the noise, proper noise testing hasn't really been done. And yet the testimony from the company itself seemed dead to me. It sounded like there was no vigour in it. It was just reciting out thousands of jobs, thousands of impact, you know, wonderful imp- royalties to the state coffers. Do you think they're not trying hard enough? I got the impression that they've run out of steam too because your side's much more passionate. Well, we've got a lot to lose. And, of course, when you talk to Rio Tinto, they only have the standard line, which is there will be no impact with Bulga. We'll do our best to work with the people of Bulga and we must protect the jobs. Really, uh, this is not being too unkind, but Rio Tinto is not interested in jobs. Jobs are a means of getting coal out and making a profit. And, And I'm not saying that's wrong, but unfortunately... The government listened to them very carefully and then the government makes an announcement that we must protect 1,300 jobs. But they're destroying everything else on the way through. And open-cut mining, to me, is old-world technology. You've, you've got to get rid of it. You, you don't devastate countryside to pull out a product that's going to continue to pollute. So on the one hand, you're, you're demolishing the country and a village, and on the... Uh, when you get the product out, you're taking it overseas, burning it, which is going to create more pollution. So it's just, you've got to say, why are we doing this? But this, unfortunately, the government sees this as royalties. And the result of that vision of getting more money in the bank says, we'll change all the rules to make sure this mine gets through. And we're looking forward to um, the new planning minister coming up with the, the review of the SEP because we believe that it will be going back to where it was before, on a balance between the ecology, the economy and the community. And that's where it should be. Yes, that would be my message to the commissioners. Just wait, delay this your, your decision on this until the minister has changed the rules and then within those rules you can give full weight to the environment, including the climate change impact of this exactly. coal exported. Because there will be a travesty of justice if this... Um, approval is given to Rio Tinto and then the day after as it is rumoured that then the government will release its paper on the review of the SEP which means that this back can't consider it. On a personal level, I remember um, sitting in the Supreme Court and uh, the Balga Milbridale people were there and then many, many, many people with wigs on and many telephone book-sized files being delivered and lots of quibbling over decibels and so on. But we've come a long way from that. We've been through two court cases and and now this reverse of the uh, criteria by which a planning assessment... Well, how has that affected you in in terms of being a 
citizen of this country, the law, all of that. Has it um, changed you? It has. I didn't realise there was so much corruption in the state government and particularly in the planning department. And we thought, well, I thought originally... This is just the planning department who's got some sort of bee in their bonnet who is so friendly with the mines. Well, that, that is still true. Um, they've been uh, sort of taken over by the mining industry. But then after, and this is only probably six to nine months ago, I realised this comes from the very top. When O'Farrell was there, he started all this when he had a meeting with the, um, the managing director who came out from London a week and a half after our win in the court. And from there... It was all the way down with new rules, how to get around this. And it's now, it's an open secret that Rio Tinto worked actively with the state government to get this approval sorted and all the rules changed. There is no argument on that now. Everyone knows. Um, and, and I think the government is trying to do what it can to get around this. And that is by reviewing the SEP. Um, but we hope it gets done in time. Holly Crenorn has agreed to talk to us. She's with the Land, Water and Future group. She gave a talk to the PAC, which got a huge round of applause, and she had a T-shirt on it that said, awful. It was an attractive T-shirt, but this awful, I think, gave her the bouncing board to, to get right into it. Holly, you've been following the way the government approves these mines, and you said it's a, a flawed process. Could you talk about that? Yes, so look, it's the prime example in New South Wales of a profoundly broken, uh, flawed and biased planning process. The New South Wales government is bending over backwards to give Rio Tinto a mine expansion that is going to have disastrous impacts that will wipe out the lives and livelihoods uh, of many people surrounding the mine. These people are not just going to take down the town of Bolga. They're going to probably face extinction themselves because, Mm. as you pointed out, the coal industry... uh, the selling of coal mm. is in structural decline. And tell us a bit about the where where the coal goes. I mean, apart from exporting climate change, where where, where are our customers? Yeah, so Rio Tinto's customers for the coal mined at Mount Thorley Walkworth um, is you know coal-fired power stations in Japan and in Korea. And, you know, they've been more or less reliable markets, but that has certainly changed and it's no longer the case. Because in Japan, coal is in structural decline and there's, a, there's about four factors, energy efficiency, solar investment, potential nuclear restart and a low and very competitive gas price. So Japan has just massively taken on board energy efficiency. You know, that their electricity demand has declined 12% in the last four years, despite their economy growing every year in that time. And so their electricity demand is down and therefore their use of coal is down as well. So it cannot be argued that coal demand in Japan is growing. It's quite definitely in a structural decline. And you add to that, so Japan is undertaking the second biggest solar investment boom in the world. You know, backed by the Japanese government, they're spending 30 billion US dollars a year on the new solar, you know, new solar economy, on new solar capacity, which is enormous. So in 2013, Japan installed 7 gigawatts of solar. Last year, they installed 10 gigawatts of solar, and they're planning a further 10 to 12 this year. So they're having a massive ramp up in their solar installation that's going to continue, you know, for the next five plus years. So I feel like when you're adding 30 billion US dollars a year in new solar capacity and electricity demand is falling, it's going to cannibalise something and what it's going to eat into is coal-fired power. Yeah, I think that's why it was so exciting to hear you speak because you're talking about what's happening in the outside world and the people from the company were more or less talking about the same things before. Thousands of jobs they promised, thousands of help for the unemployed youth in the Hunter Valley. It was the same old stuff, you know, give a humidity crib to the hospital for the coal-affected babies that are born. It's just stale. Mm. And what you were talking about is a new decarbonised world that we, Beyond Zero Emissions, is hoping and pushing and we know it's, it's happening. So would you you say from point of view of employment that they're actually really not telling the truth? Yes, absolutely. Rio Tinto and other coal miners in the Hunter Valley like to hold up the jobs that they're going to continue um, to provide as the one and the only and the primary reason for approving coal expansions. But time and time again, when a coal mining company in the Hunter Valley is granted an approval to expand, it is 
swiftly followed by a round of redundancies. Mm. So it's very, con- I think it's a very convenient argument uh, for coal companies in the Hunter Valley to use jobs as their prop and their primary argument. But the fact is that they're shedding employment. And look, in, tw- in the you know four months of 2014, you know, at the end of the year, in four months of 2014, the Australian coal mining industry shed one in three jobs. They shed a third of its workforce in four months at the end of 2014. That's an enormous amount of jobs. That's, those are coal mines that are closing and that are not reopening. And it's all being done without a transition plan. So the transition of the Hunter Valley and of the coal mining industry broadly in Australia is happening. And our governments are not doing it in a planned way that's supporting these communities. And they're not doing it in a way that secures a renewable energy future for Australia in the future. Yet there are enormous changes happening right now in New South Wales policies and laws that govern mining. And so... The approval of the Rio Tinto expansion here near Bulgar should not be rushed through. There's plenty of time. There's no rush. But also that the future policies uh, that are going to govern mining in New South Wales should apply. There shouldn't be a Bulgar exception. The community of Bulgar shouldn't have to put up with obscene noise and air pollution, uh, damage to their community and a mine literally on their doorstep. Um, From the pub of Bulgar, you can already see... You know, from if you're sitting on the porch of the pub, you can see the open cut mine clear as day. And that mine wants to come ever, ever closer. And it's already massively impacting on the quality of life and people in Bulga and our environment. And it shouldn't be allowed to worsen. And some chilling thing I've learnt today is this word, the final void. Mm. It sounds to me like what climate change is going to leave us with, but it's actually what the mining is going to leave these people with. Many, you said in the Hunter Valley, something over 20 final voids, these massive things. Just tell us what they are. Yeah, so final void, that's the mining industry's term for the giant bloody hole they leave in the ground. Uh, But also just having those holes there causes massive environmental problems with underground water, aquifers, massive impacts on rivers because... Yeah, lots of water collates in the mine, is exposed to the ore and, you know, forms toxic, uh, massive toxic problems for the water environments in the Hunter Valley. We're going to speak later to someone about that. So thank you very much, Holly, for telling us that. You're a fantastic campaigner and that round of applause was very well deserved. We don't need your filthy coal, your coal-seeing gas or oil. I've been trying to get some, one of the workers to speak to me, but unfortunately a lot of them probably feel compromised and said they're not, not, not keen to speak about their jobs, even though their testimony to the PAC is very poignant, that they feel very up against it, that if this mine extension doesn't go on, that their jobs will be lost. And there have been people from Singleton Council saying that you know the whole Singleton area, the business will, will really fall flat if the extension is not approved. So that's what it's about approving an extension to the mine which will directly impact the small town of Bolga. Now sitting near me in the assessment uh, meeting all day yesterday, nine hours and today, there was a fellow with a big white beard and I noticed him and then I spoke to him today and he said he formerly worked at the mine so he's happy to talk about this situation. He's got a foot in both camps really because he worked at the mine and he lives in Bolga. Now it's becoming more evident how toxic coal is and it sounds like this employer is people as I think you said to me golden handcuffs you know they're they're wedded to getting a really good income from this what would you like to say thinking of this future that we're facing to mine mine workers let's say who who are in that they're handcuffed to it really I really do sympathize with the the thought that at some point in time their jobs are going to go and let's face it even if this is disapproved they have approval to mine through to 2021 it's not as though it's going to stop tomorrow that the the uh, operation will close down they've got a lot of work that they still need to do um, both sides of the the putty road so and the other uh, factor these days and you, you see it regularly in newspaper reports and television uh, reports and the like um, uh, no one is safe in their job and, and you know I just forget what the figures are mm. but they expect people should be expecting to have potentially three careers yeah. and, and work in you know a dozen different jobs um, uh, over their lifetime and um, yes uh, they'll need to transition on just the same as a lot of the speakers today have, you know they've been here three years 
five, seven years or whatever, they transitioned into it. Mm. They've got a number of years now that they can then transition out of uh, coal mining. Um, It's not the end of the world. There are those exciting prospects for renewables and and other industries. And, yeah, at some point in time, you've got to take the blinkers off, I think, and and face reality um, that that coal is is on the way out. Well, one last question, just about um, revegetation and rehabilitation of the mines. People have been talking about the final void, and I'm only starting to dimly realise what that what those voids look like but you've seen them inside and I think Bev Smiles mentioned today the cumulative impact in the Hunter Valley of these massive pits left once the mining has moved on. Um, Do you think that that's a way for future work for people to do that rehabilitation? Absolutely Uh, at some point in time someone will need to address uh, what's going to happen with those voids and leaving them as voids is, is just impractical. Um, the, Can you describe them? Oh, a, a massive hole in the ground and um, uh, I don't know, you know whether you're uh, afraid of heights or not but you stand on a high wall they actually have a limit as to how close to a high wall you can stand because of the uh, massive drop um, mm. down, down, down. If you could imagine standing uh, on something 250 metres high high and looking down a series of uh, jagged benches to the bottom. Um, That's what it would look like if it was uh, empty but with time it will fill with water and the water quality will be really really poor. Um, Not usable for anything, not usable uh, uh, even as a recreational area. Um, You can't use it for agriculture. It will be uh, water that will be there um, but uh, quite unusable. So what could be done to rehabilitate that? Well, you need to do the rehabilitation before. What you need to do is actually backfill the area. Um, So what they have done um, uh, as part of mining um, the material um, in situ material is actually swollen by the time it goes into the dumps so you you find that the uh, spoil, the dumps, the waste material that they take off layer by layer to expose each of the coal seams, it, it uh, goes to form uh, the spoil dumps. Um, those spoil dumps are the massive areas that you see way, way above what was the original um, uh, uh, ground levels uh, in places close to 100 metres above what was the original level. What they will need to do is then, having hauled that material into those dumps, turn around and now haul that material back into the hole that they've left behind mm. that's that's the ultimate um, solution to the problem is to haul the, the spoil back but of course they won't be getting any dollars, there won't be any coal to no. pay for it to, to go back and that's why the Rio Tinto's of the world are saying oh no it's too expensive I oh, know it's too very expensive but leaving behind a, a toxic um, um, void that is filled with water is, is unacceptable I would have thought problems. So far from the Planning Commission <clears throat> giving approval or telling the state government to go ahead, they should be absolutely not allowing any extension and starting on the legislation that would make the mines do that. Oh, abs- absolutely. For the last 30 years, the Planning Department has required that uh, with each application that there be some indication of what's going to happen with the final void. To date... All operations said we're going to continue mining after our 21-year approval period Um, and uh, so it hasn't been a particular problem. Given that the the coal, the end of coal, is in the foreseeable future and it's, you know, that's just overwhelming, the the number of people that are now talking about it. The reality is now that final voids will be a problem that need to be addressed. uh, Up until now, they've been put in the too-hard basket and to some extent haven't been a particular issue because, well, we'll apply to continue mining, so we will simply use that hole as the start of the continuation. At some point in time, the chooks are coming home to roost and 
yes, it's a, it's a massive problem for one of the greatest environments, mm. the Hunter Valley, mm. exceptional uh, area in terms mm. of its beauty and landscape and uh, yeah. productivity. Listeners, I can't take you to a coal mine. I've only once been to one of these coal mines and it was years ago and it looked like the Grand Canyon and that has put me on this path of doing this sort of radio and worrying about climate change and where it's all headed. But this man has you know, spent his life working in this industry. He lives in the town that's now extremely threatened by an extension of that industry. And so I really think this is very valuable and thank you very much for talking to us. Cheers. Uh, hi, um, my name's Trudy. Um, I'm a local born and bred singleton girl. Um, I work for Coal and Allied. Um, basically, what I, what I told this, uh, the commission was... Um, I, sh- I shared about myself and what a positive determination of the proposals mean to me. Um, I'm a working mum. Mm-hmm. Uh, my husband is a local primary school teacher. We've got two beautiful young boys and I've just returned from maternity leave. I had 12 months off. Yeah. And um, I feel very fortunate that um, the company I work for has a great maternity leave policy. And I work part-time. And having the opportunity to have flexible working arrangements um, is great for working mums like me. Uh, I studied science and law at university and um, I I looked at a range of career options when I was, um, you know, embarking on the start of my career. Um, But I chose mining and I chose to come home. When I catch up with my friends from uni, I'm in an unusual position that I have an engaging professional career in the country, Um, and it's in my hometown. That's only possible because of the opportunities the mining industry provides here in the Hunter Valley. I feel Singleton is a great place to live and we have a wonderful sense of community here. We do lots of things locally. Um, My boys attend a local daycare. Uh, We love going to the library for toddler's story time. We go to park run on a Saturday. Um, My extended family just drop in because they were driving past. Um, And Singleton's only an hour from the beach, thanks to that lovely expressway. (laughs) A new piece of infrastructure around here. And um, we're around the corner from the vineyards. And there is so much to offer young families here. And mining's a big part of that. Um, But Singleton is more than a mining town. And that's part of the appeal of being here. Um, We choose to be here and we want to stay here. Um, But if these proposals aren't approved, we might have to reassess. Um, I I don't pretend to know how objectors of these proposals feel. Um, But what I do know is how proposals and impacts are assessed and conditioned in accordance with government policy and legislation. Um, It's a lengthy process uh, and the government employs large teams of professionals with expertise to do that task. They assess each proposal on its merits. And I also know that Rio Tinto consider that maintaining their approval to mine is business critical and they go to exceptional lengths to do this. Um, You mentioned to me earlier that you spoke to the native seed collector. You know, that's one of those examples. You know, we have long-term contracts in place so that we can work towards rehabilitation outcomes. Um, The department's addendum assessment report in response to the PAC's recommendations and um, they're from the PAC hearing. It's fair and it's robust assessment of the proposals in accordance with legislation and policy. It provides reasonable balance and adequately addresses the recommendations by way of amended um, development consent conditions. I support the recommendation for approval by the department. I acknowledge that approval is not going to make everyone happy. But from my perspective, the Singleton Shire thrives with long-term investment in and from the mining industry in the mix of all the great things going on here. That's something that these proposals can deliver to our community. Thank you very much. So that was Trudy Larnock at Singleton uh, before the Planning and Assessment Commission. I've got Rod Campbell here from the Australia Institute who's just given a devastating talk to the uh, commissioners about why we shouldn't go on with the Rio Tinto project. Rod, you gave a lot of very detailed information about economics, but tell us, in a nutshell, 
why is this really not a very viable project in your estimation? The project's not viable because coal prices have fallen back to near what's really their historical level. Uh, so when this project was really being pursued hard, uh, the coal boom was on the up and up. You're talking through 2008 and through the financial crisis and the peak in coal prices again around 2011. All through that time, coal prices were very high. Now they're getting back towards their historical level and the project's really not worth what it used to be and what what they originally said it would be. Unfortunately, Rio seemed completely unable to walk away from their earlier forecasts of what the price is, of what the project's worth, and so they're left scrambling around trying to justify very high price predictions and really values that I, I don't think the market believes, I don't think too many people believe uh, outside of Rio's consultants. Yes, well, they're promising thousands of jobs and lots of benefits to the community and lots of royalties to the state coffers, but um, you, you seem to think that it would be an advantage to them to have an approval anyway. Even if that doesn't come to fruition, if the coal price continues to go down, it would still be advantageous for them, for this, um, these commissioners to approve. Why is that? Uh, there's certainly advantage in the project being approved for Rio. Uh, really, just because the project doesn't look like it's going to make a lot of money at the moment, it actually saves them a lot of money. It allows them to delay the costs of rehabilitating their land, you know, the huge pits that they've dug over the last 20 years... Uh, some has been rehabilitated along the way, but there's a huge expense in in filling in the hole or filling in as much as they have to. And if they can kick that can down the road for another 15 or 20 years, and this is serious expense. You're talking potentially hundreds of millions of dollars of rehabilitation costs. If they can delay that by 10 or 15 years, that, that's a huge financial incentive to chase what is otherwise a fairly unviable project. So can you foresee at the present un- viable nature of digging, starting a new coal mine or extending this big one, that they might in fact um, get the approval and then really put it in mothballs? Oh, I think that's a highly likely scenario. Um, probably more than, probably less than being put in mothballs. I think it would just go ahead much, much slower and with much, much fewer people. I, I think uh, the line that this project and this approval is important to the jobs of 1,300 people has been wildly overblown. I think the project could well be approved and I think the day it's approved or the week it's approved Rio Tinto will sack a couple of hundred people that they've kept on purely for political purposes. Could I just ask you what do you think of these public consultations? At first when I came to the first one I was rather dewy eyed about it and I thought oh this is democracy in action but uh, the one about Newcastle it seemed to be about 90% of the people who spoke up were against the expansion of the coal port. Here it seems like the majority of people are against the expansion of this coal mine and yet it's very likely that the approval will be given. Look, it's not democracy in action and nor should it be. Uh, This isn't about how many people turn up or how many submissions are written. After all, Rio Tinto, it's rumoured, make their workers make submissions to bump up the numbers of submissions. Um, So, no, it's not democracy in action. And uh, what gets said here uh, largely isn't really relevant to the decisions that planners have to make. They They consider community sentiment but really they have to address the planning documentation and submissions that are relevant and speakers who are speaking about things that are relevant to the planning regulations. So you know, all the teary stories about mine workers and you know, that have to move away or all the teary stories about people worried that they might have to leave their home in Bulga uh, you know, it's all very well and it, and it makes for great theatre but that's what it is. It's theatre and the these decisions are made fairly well. They ma- they're made fairly strictly with with reference to planning documentation. People have said it's a matter of time because the state premier will be revising the mining regulations, and if they pass this now with the old mining regulations, that'll be fine. But do you think it's possible to delay it until the new regulations, which give more uh, weight to environmental concerns, comes in? Yes, there are moves by the premier and the plan planning minister to reform planning laws. Uh, How that affects the assessment of this project, I don't really know. Um, 
you know, I, I think that'll be up up to the politicians and the lawyers, not lowly economists. Okay. Well, thank you very much. We've been speaking to economist Rod Campbell from the Australia Institute. We'll see this battle won. We'll see this battle won. And not wanting to lose sight of the forest for the trees, can I just point out that it's very well researched and documented now that we need to stay below at least two degrees uh, rise uh, to limit catastrophic levels of climate change. And in order to do that, the estimate is that we need to leave between two-thirds and four-fifths of fossil fuels in the ground. I'm Helen Razor, but that's deeply irrelevant. What is relevant is that you're listening to 3CR on, what's that frequency again, dear? 855, I told you, Helen. 855. And what is relevant is that you're not listening to that other crap. So well done. So we'll return now to New South Wales. We're in Bulga this week uh, for the Bulga versus Rio Tinto case. Bulga, this small township, won a case against Rio Tinto, extending uh, its mining right up into the boundary of Bulga. They won that case in the Land Environmental Court in April, but an appeal has been made by Rio Tinto, which the New South Wales government has joined in on, and uh, that appeal will go to the Supreme Court next month, I say, I hear. So back to Vivian in Bulga. Since recording those interviews, the Planning Commission has been told that the new rules will apply to mining approvals. Equal consideration must now be given to impacts on the environment, including the climate, as well as on the local society. It may be a David and Goliath story, but if Goliath falls, what about the jobs of all those on his side? Local people and the shops and businesses, what will happen to them? Chris Cork fills us in. One of the people who addressed the uh, Planning Assessment Commission was Chris Cork. He's from the Singleton Business Chamber of Commerce. The unemployment rate, uh, as at May, for the uh, Upper Hunter, excluding Newcastle region, was 11.3%, which is a significantly higher rate than the national and, and state averages, and which correlates quite directly with the, uh, the, the mining-centric economic situation of the Upper Hunter community. It's estimated that approximately one in four people work in some capacity uh, directly in the mining industry and a significant proportion of other workers in the uh, Hunter community work in some capacity, either directly or indirectly, in a supply chain organisation. People have often explained that to me. You know, if you lose one mining job, that means you lose a local teacher, a local... Yeah, there's certainly a a very definite supply chain, and the supply chain does tend to emanate from the the mining hub. If if you look at Singleton, for example, uh, and the uh, Main Street retailers, they have been doing it incredibly tough uh, the last two or three years. That period of difficulty for those organisations very directly coincides with the, the downturn in the mining sector and that, uh, that commodity price reduction that we've ex- experienced. Okay, well, in the short term, like in the next couple of decades, call that a short term, a lot of people are saying, please keep this mine open, please extend it, just keep those jobs in place. Do you have a point of view on that or do you see something beyond that? Uh, I I certainly um, support, uh, and I've made that known today in my submission to the PAC, the continuation of the uh, Walkworth and Mount Thorley operations. Uh, I support that uh, certainly on economic grounds, and I support that um, equally on the uh, social impacts of economic change. In this. I also recognise and, uh, and support the emergence of, of, of new and alternative energy production technologies and, and, and recognise that as time continues those uh, new technologies will provide a greater contribution to the energy production grid. Mining uh, or coal is anticipated to remain uh, a pillar of energy generation for the next 30 years and probably beyond that. The Hunter is therefore uh, very well placed uh, with respect to its world-class operations, Mm. its world-class and efficient supply chain capability 
and uh, the, the, the quality uh, of the coal that this region can offer. Yes, I think that uh, the IEA would agree with you. They predicted that. But what if they were wrong and what if the world community does make a sort of a huge flip now to say, no, that has to stay in the ground. We have to keep these fossil fuels worldwide, you know, out of production because we need to really rapidly transfer our energy source to renewable energy. What if that happened? What would be plan B for a community like this? You know, it sounds like you've done some thinking on that to diversify. What specifically can you think of that would be a good way to diversify a community like this with the skill set that you've got here? I do believe that um, this region is well placed uh, with regard to uh, the technical skills of the people that, that work here and just the, I guess, the bloody-minded attitude of, <laughs> of, of Hunter residents yeah. to um, get in and make things happen. Uh, I do believe that uh, it's a community that would rise to a challenge mm. and I do believe that it's a community that recognises that um, at some point there, there is the uh, need to uh, diversify. It's imperative that government uh, provides support uh, in developing the uh, training and re-education frameworks yeah. that will support people moving into this new era of technology. Uh, jobs that are therefore methodical, um, regular, uh, are programmable if you like, mm. will be the jobs that we can anticipate will be lost the soonest. We'll give the last word to two Bulga residents. Local historian Stuart Mitchell and John Cray, president of the Bulga Milbradale Association. One of the residents of Bulga, I would call him the local historian. He has published a few books and he comes from a pioneering family. My family, uh, or my ancestors, were the first white settlers in Bulga. After Explorer John Howe crossed the mountains from Windsor and opened up an overland route to the to the rich Hunter Valley. My ancestors settled in Bulga and we've been here ever since. So that that was in 1825. Uh, so they were all present here uh, in 1852 when the last great borer was held at Bulga and the borer ceremony was a gathering of many Aboriginal tribes from, from near and far who came together and conducted their ceremonies, their initiation rites, etc. That was witnessed by my ancestors, who um, got on quite well with the, uh, the native Indigenous people. So they had an insight into how the Aboriginal people worked. They even went so far as to learn the local dialect. As history went on, the pioneers really settled all of this area and as you say it's a very rich valley. I had thought that coal mining was always part and parcel of this but you said it's much more recent. Oh yes it's much more recent. Whilst there was some coal mining activity uh, in the Newcastle area uh, as, as far back as 1800 it was on a very small scale and uh, it did exist in the Lower Hunter area uh, once again on a small scale it wasn't until 1980 that um, they decided to go from underground mining the more profitable method of extraction by mm -hmm. open cut methods in uh, in 1980 so in fact that destructive method of uh, extracting coal has only been happening for now for 35 years. Bulger and Camberwell are the earliest villages and they're very historic and we should have more, even though Australia is a young country in white settler terms, it's got an ancient Aboriginal story but we should value that more and I think that didn't really come out much in the planning commission. I'm sure a multinational company like Rio Tinto is not going to be very interested in hearing this on memory perhaps of these pioneers. It's not like huge monuments but there is that trace of their past which people would be interested if they knew the story and one of your books I think would, would interest a lot of people if they came here. Do you feel that that consciousness needs to be raised a bit? This was a rich area and um, uh, and occupied even in the early stages by the Vainoffs. They recorded there were three to four hundred a tribe of that size living at Bulga when the first white settlers arrived. Their artefacts were widespread and they've been discovered um, over the years and um, with this in, in with the issue of this extension of uh, Mount Thorley Walkworth Mine They've uh, embarked on a, on a, a pro project of 
recovering those artefacts and putting them in a bucket and put and then uh, storing them in a tin shed and this is the mining company's view on how they look after the cultural heritage of the Aboriginal people. The Aboriginal people objected, strongly objected to interference with their um, with, with, with their heritage items, including such very sacred areas as grinding groove rocks where they sharpened their stone axes and, and implements. Those, uh, was decided, would have to be destroyed because they were in the way of the huge machinery that uh, was digging up the whole of the countryside. Um, and the, um, sadly, the Aboriginal people had to conform with those needs of the mining company. Well, we heard the very first speaker at this uh, Planning Commission hearing was an Aboriginal man, and then I think one of his relatives spoke about the whole landscape being a kind of artefact, the whole landscape being somewhere he would like to walk with his child and point out things. If you take it away and put it in a tin shed, artefacts, that's, it's not just artefacts, it's a whole landscape and as one of the uh, listeners might remember the Adrian Barragaba interview we did up at the Galilee Basin he said the whole landscape is a bible you need it as your reference point if you pull down the hills just excavate land and remove things and have offsets, that's just a travesty, it's like mm. taking away the bible from people who believe in the bible anyway look, as a historian I'm, I'm, I really appreciate what you've done and, and the fact that you have stayed put. Bulga is under great threat. It must be very taxing for you to do that. But where do you think it's going? You know how the world trends are going rather quickly now about climate change and, and you know trying to keep the coal in the ground. Many people are looking at Bulga as a kind of test case. Hmm. I think our government is going to have to, in the very near future, accept the fact that there are problems with carbon and we've got to reduce the amount of, of coal that's extracted and, and causing, causes the, these problems. So whilst um, our government is very reluctant to go along with the rest of the world, I think they're going to have to. The government's allowed itself to become too dependent on uh, income and royalties from coal mining. They've let manufacturing go. They've let agriculture go. The easy way out is to put their hand out for royalties from the uh, coal mining industry. Mm. And now, with worldwide downturn in the use of coal, Australia is now going to have to wake up and look at alternatives. Stuart Mitchell with his message to wake up Australia. Life around an open-cut coal mine is... uh you're subject to constant dust but the biggest short-term problem that we have is the noise but the long-term problem and this is something which is hard to um, to get a a gauge on is is the health from from the air pollution these guys over here these three mines in front of us they export 20 million tons of coal a year from these three mines and that's 20 million litres of diesel. But we are right next to those mines, so we're right next to that pollution. So we don't want the mine coming into our backyard, nor into our rooms at night time with the noise. We're stuck here, and we can't get away from the noise. Who's going to buy our property? So, yeah, it's pretty stressful. Our granddaughter, the one and only, who's now four and a half, she came here when she was one month old. So they live with us for 15 months. Now, when Lola Rose came here perfect health she left here on a puffer and you get pollution from that mine and that mine and that mine causing that and there's been quite a few studies now done which um, relate the dust and the diesel fumes produced uh, from the mines onto kids and our health and yet there's nothing being done about it. it what it needs is for the mining industry to accept responsibility for not to expand further into the hunter valley because they are devastating this countryside. Um, They've got coal trains which are uncovered, they're blowing dust everywhere, going through quite highly populated areas. You've got blasting, you've got dust, and you've got noise coming over a population that is here because of its climate, because of its, its way of life, and what was, clean air. We would like to see the mining industry here in this part of the Hunter shut down. They're killing off major industries like tourism, 
uh, agriculture, viticulture, and the equine industry is threatening to pull out if they expand. Coal is short term, and coal is devastating not only to us, but to the countries they send it to. Why is the government allowing this to continue? And yet another reason to not grant an extension to Rio Tinto for that mine. If you go onto Google Maps and go to the satellite imagery, you can actually see the mine uh, that we've been talking about tonight in up near Bulger in New South Wales, just inland from Newcastle. Vivian, that was a very even-handed set of interviews there, fantastic. And as a companion piece, if you will, to this set of interviews tonight, Background Briefing coincidentally did a, uh, a piece on the Bulga versus Rio Tinto case, which you can find on the ABC RN site as a podcast if you're interested in following up. I'd just like to get through a few more names from the Radiothon who, who, from people who were kind enough to give us money, to give 3CR money, and more specifically to support Beyond Zero Emissions. So we have Richard from Essendon, Hal from Williamstown, Sonia from Crib Point, Jerry from Paddington in New South Wales, thank you all, Stephen from Paddington in New South Wales, Robin from Carlton North, Cheng from Brunswick West, Joseph from Elstonwick, Eric from Bo Morris. Many, many thanks to you all for your kind donations. They keep uh, uh, Beyond Zero on the air and more importantly in a way is to keep 3CR, the voice of community radio, on air. Uh I would like to refer you all again to the Great Forest National Park website for you to possibly follow up and become informed as to what that pro- proposal is about. A very worthy cause indeed. Uh, the mountain ash and the lead beaters pot- possums need you. Finally tonight... Uh, can I just thank the Beyond Zero Emissions team? That is, as always, Miwa, Teddy, Roger, Glenn and Rebecca over in the BZE office for the promotions which go up on...